Welcome to the Value Investor TV podcast. This is the podcast to help you grow your wealth and become financially independent. My name is Becco and my co-host, Hari. Welcome to our podcast, episode 42. We are continuing our discussion on this company called NVR Inc. Very interesting, seemingly boring company, but in this episode, we'll talk about why this is interesting for us as value investors. Yeah, I think uh, for those of you who have read Peter Lynch, you would be very excited about... Yeah. Peter Lynch would be very excited about this yeah, kind this, of book, or this kind of company. Yeah, so. this is a this is a pure uh, Peter Lynch play right here. Yeah, very boring. Nobody's going to pay attention to it, and then they just crush money out yep. uh, every day. So. Yep. All right, let's get into it. Uh, before we actually do that, uh, let's talk about the the, the um, disclaimer. Yeah. Um, um, you want to? <coughs> yeah, sure. Get it, so, give it a go. Uh, you know, everything that we talk about here is for, you know, we are trying to educate you on how uh, a value investor, our f- brand of value investing, is is kind of done, <coughs> and so we we look at this as a educational experience. We are not trying to make you. Or, or tell you to buy or sell a particular stock. We don't know your financial situation, and we are not your financial advisor. So we encourage you to do your own homework, do your own research. Um, and this this uh, analysis that we do on a daily basis or on a weekly basis is really to help you understand how to apply this uh, methodology to your own investing ideas. Great. Let's get into it, Hari. So right off the bat, let's ask this question. Is the company able to translate its moat into high returns on capital? Actually, before we do that, let's talk about the uh, the checklist. Yeah. So if you don't have the checklist in front of you, right here, this is the checklist. Email us at info at valueinvestor.org. We would be happy to share this with you guys. This will really help you guide your thoughts, guide your analysis. This checklist is literally worth $100 billion, <laughs> and we're giving it away for free. For I mean, free. Think about the value uh, investment that you get there from you just go. sending us an email. There you go. Uh, that you could literally make a hundred billion dollars. It may take you fifty or sixty years, but that's that's, that's what this is worth. <laughs> I mean, that's what this education is worth. Yeah. Today, so, so send us an email at value investor info at valueinvestor.org. Happy to share this with you guys. And or and uh, or questions or comments that you would like to share with yeah, us. Yeah, exactly. Uh, questions or comments or companies that you'd like us to cover, we'd be happy to take a look at that uh, as well. Yep. So let's dive into it. So question, is the company able to tra- j- translate its moat into high returns on capital? And we talked about moat in the previous episode. Moat is another word for competitive advantage. So listen up, uh, listen to that episode 41 before you come to this episode. Anyway, let's get into it. So Hari, tell us, is the company able to translate its moat into high returns on capital? So what is, uh, you know, the high returns on capital that we've been looking at since 2013 have averaged so in 2013 it was 21% and it's actually increased from 21% to 33% um, in the last uh, five years Um, I don't actually have 2018 in front of me but it's it was also uh, very good and so what's your it it may actually be even higher than 33% so the thing about home builders is that there's a cyclical nature to that so when the the economy is doing well, they're building a lot of homes. Yep. When the economy is doing poorly, their profitability will suffer tremendously. So the interesting thing about a company like this is we're talking about boom times right now, right? The uh, interest rates are very low. 
the market is very hot for homes. People are buying homes because the economy is doing well. So what their profitability is now is not as necessarily what their profitability would be in a recession. And I would also caution you to say, well, let's look at it what it, what it was in 2008. So 2008 was kind of, you know, a once in a hundred year event. So most recessions don't, you know, have the kind of uh, impact that that one in 2008 did. Yep. Even so, NVR still did fairly well, you know, because they were, as we talked about in the first episode, fairly conservative about how they build. They're not sitting on a big inventory, uh, and so they're not worried about when a recession hits. They're they're trying to sell the home when they already have a buyer, yep. right? Uh, or build a home when they already have a buyer, yep. which is a good way of doing this. Um, okay, so that being said, are they return their profitability very good. So in the boom times, it's excellent. In the 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 low periods, it's still pretty darn good. Right? Do you have the numbers for that right now in front of you, or <coughs> for the 2008 for returns on 2008, 2009, 2010, that period? So in 2008, they had 1.3 billion in equity, which is um. And they actually had about, or so let's look at 2010 when they actually had their lowest point. So they had a hundred million dollars in um, uh, net income that year and 1.75 billion in uh, equity at the time. So I mean that that number should translate into about seven or eight percent, which is not fantastic. Um, but you have to remember that is kind of like they were still profitable in a in a horrific environment, right? So that to me tells me that their historic average is, is going to be closer to the 25 to 20, 30% range. Yeah. And uh, and I'll show you a metric, of a really cool trick that uh, Charlie Munger has talked about for a long period of time, which is over a long period of time, the company's return to shareholders will be roughly what their return on equity is. And if you look at, and so we'll talk about, actually, we'll yeah. talk about that little uh, little, little bit, bit when we yeah. do um, the valuation. Exactly. So, but yes, so the answer is uh, uh, an, a, a very strong yes, that this is a high return on capital business. Yep. Great. Let's move on to the next question. Um, so f let's talk about the financials. So does the company have enough cash to maintain its business? Um, yeah. Does, it, does the, the company have enough cash to maintain its business? I think it kind of... This question naturally leads to the next question. Does the company maintain reasonable debt level? Yeah. So, so those two questions. Let's take let's it away. look at it from the their balance sheet. Yep. It's pretty rock solid. Six hundred million in cash or six hundred and fifty, and they have about six hundred million in debt. And but they also generate about six hundred million in uh six it's actually it was closer to eight hundred million this last year mm -hmm. in free cash flow. So one of the good operational metrics that we you know we talk about is they should be able to pay off their entire debt in about three years mm -hmm. uh, based on three years of free, free cash, cash flow, flow. Yeah. and so their debt is not actually due until 2021 so they still have two or three years and they should have plenty of cash uh to use that uh, you know to pay it off they also have a revolving credit facility which they don't seem to be utilizing much of because they have true. such a large cash balance yeah so I want to also make the the point here that since they are U.S. a U.S. company, they don't have to worry about cash balances in other countries. So if you generate a profit in another country, the U.S. is one of the few countries where they charge you a tax to repatriate that money. 
and they actually charge it as at, at an income tax rate. So if you make money elsewhere, they're charging you tax at your income tax rate when you bring it back, right? Um, so Donald Trump did a one-time repatriation benefit where you pay like a 5% tax on it, and that was part of that Tax and Jobs Cut Act. So, but this company doesn't have to worry about it. So that $600 million is literally available in cash, cash yeah. uh, for them. So think about that when you look at an international-based company, like when we talked about Skechers, uh, or Canada Goose, and co- compare that to um, these guys. Just All of that money is available, so they probably don't need to tap into that credit facility very often. Mm. Okay, so we talked about debt level. We talked about enough cash. Um, and we actually touched on the last question also. The question was, can the company generate a strong amount of free cash flow from operation? I think the answer there is a strong yes. Yeah, so $700 million or 800 million in free cash flow this last year, 600 or so the year before. Um, yeah, it's it's very solid. Yeah. Uh, All right, let's uh, move on to the next question. Let's uh, next bucket of question about the management. Mm-hmm. Um, so, is management properly incentivized to protect shareholder interest over its owners? Yeah. So, the reason that this company is interesting is management actually has less of an impact on the business. You know, they've already gotten a blueprint. So, that, first of all, their CEO has been there since 2005. He's worked at the company since 1981. So, he's been there a very long time. <clears throat> and, you know, his incentive structure, they have a equity-based compensation, and he gets a 3 or $4 million, you know, uh, salary cash. in cash. So, yeah. I, what I look for in these these kind of situations where the business is not necessarily tied to a, you know, having a strong manager, um, and I, th- these are the types of businesses you want. You don't want, like, the situation where the manager, you know, has to leave, you know, for or retires, and then you get in somebody who's incompetent. You want a business that is can survive an incompetent management, right? Yep. And this is the kind of business that's like that, right? Yeah. They have a very distributed management structure. If you think about it as their general contractors who are actually overseeing the house are actually, you know, management in a lot of ways, yep. right? So the, the senior management is doing a lot less than in a company like Skechers or Canada Goose where yeah. they're directing product. NVIDIA. And, yeah, or NVIDIA, yep. um, you know, not to, not to say that all of those companies didn't have solid management and, you know, but this is a different type of uh you know, play like the CEO leaves, I would be a lot less concerned about, you know, the future of this company. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting. Um, you know, it's a, like you said, the blueprint is right there in front of them. They have a long history, operational history, and they know how to succeed in this in good environments and bad. So the management doesn't really play a huge role in, in valuation. So let's move on to the next question. Has management handled excess capital in a shareholder friendly way? Yeah, so the answer to that is, uh, yeah, you can't even get, yeah, you can't even get better than these guys, right? So more than half of their free cash flow since since 1996 is being spent on share buybacks. And that is why this company is so outstanding. When you look at how they return money back to their shareholders, they don't pay a dividend and they have no plans to pay a dividend because... Their their shareholders will actually get a you know a double tax in that case right they they pay the income tax and then they pay a dividend and you have to pay 
uh, taxes on that. Yep. These guys return all of it to shareholders. And so, you know, they fall into this uh, grouping called the share price cannibals. So what they do is uh, AutoZone actually is another company that does this. And there are several others. Uh, uh, the classic example from the book, um, The uh, Outsiders. Yeah, uh, it, the 100 bagger. Yeah, it was a 100 bagger called Teledyne where they returned back 90% of their shares these guys are getting fairly close. So in 97, they had 11.2 million shares outstanding. That number is now po- standing at about 3.6. Uh, that's uh, uh, undiluted. If you look at it diluted, it's about 4 million shares. So I mean, they've reduced that share count by 7 uh, million shares or so. So more than two-thirds have hit, you know, have been just taken off the table. That's pretty incredible, actually. And so when you look at it from a... From how what has that impact been to the company? To the share price. To the share price. Let's actually let's not even talk about the share price for a second. Okay. Earnings per share yeah. in ninety eight was five point one. So that number now in two thousand eighteen is two hundred and twenty. And that is through so but but compare that to their top line. Yeah. So their their it's grown about 40 times earnings yep. has grown 40 times for EPS. Yeah, for yeah, for earnings per share. Yep. But revenue has only gone from 1.9 billion, 1.95 to um Five. to uh about 9 uh billion. Uh So uh, I'm sorry, se- 7 billion. Se- yeah, 6 and 7. Yeah. yeah, their market cap is 9.5 billion. Their so revenue like fi- is So like 5x, six, 6 to 5x. Yeah, but their earnings per share has gone up 40x. 40x. Right? Yeah. So 40X, yeah. it's not how much you make, it's how much you keep, right? And that's the per earnings. Share. Per share. Per share. Per share. And that's what, what is the real story behind this company is that their earnings, their net income was 56 million, and it's now 790 or 800 million so let's let's say that's uh you know for the, for the sake of this that's gone up about 12 times yeah. but they're 40 times yeah. or earnings per share has gone up 40 times yeah so just by buying back their shares so if you imagine how powerful that is as a company that when they just keep buying back their shares and every year they were authorizing so this year they just announced a 300 million dollar share buyback <clears throat> and so we talked about this earlier over a long period of time, does their return on e- their return on equity should roughly es- you know uh, equate to their shareholder, shareholder returns, return, yeah. right? And so their shareholder returns have been since nineteen ninety eight compounded annually thirty percent per year. Wow! So that is insane. All That's right. Crazy. First of all, that far exceeds all of these companies that you've you've probably heard about, and all of the the. Uh, People that you hear on Seeking Alpha talking about the hottest business on the, the planet, you know, Square and uh, Facebook and all of this stuff. These guys have crushed all of them over a long period of time. So, you know, Amazon may be one of the few that has exceeded these guys. And Amazon is way overvalued at, the, at their current price. So these guys have, a, have maintained a P.E. of like 8 to 10 for a very long time. And they're still trading around that range. This is a fantastic business, and this is why value investing is so powerful. If you literally made one decision 20 years ago to buy this company, like I should have, because I'm an idiot. Shame, shame. I would have been far better off than all of the work that I've done. Over, And I, it's not like I didn't recognize this. I saw this in 1998. It's not hard to see. This is a very well-run company. 
But what you see with this kind of business is over the long period of time, there's been two major recessions and this company just keeps going up, still gets a 30% annualized return. So, so that's what we're looking for with these kind of businesses is the punch your ticket once and then just sit on it for a really long time. And this, this is not something that, oh, well now they're, you know, they're a $9 billion company. They're just not going to keep doing it. What's stopping them from continuing to do this yeah. in the future, right? Yeah. So 30% annualized return over the last 20 years, even though their company is only growing revenue at around, you know, 10 to 12, you know, you know, sometimes 15%, depending on, uh, you know, the, uh, how, uh, how the market is doing. But because of their, you know, focus on shareholder returns, you're, you're seeing a much higher rate of return for you as a, as an owner. Yeah. Again, kind of going back to the question of has the management handled excess capital in a shareholder-friendly way, the answer is a re- resounding yes. Yeah. It's a resounding yes. That's why the EPS has grown, you know, 40x when the top line has only grown like 5x. Yeah. Uh, so that's very, very important as a shareholder for a lo- with a long-term perspective. That's really, really important. Uh, the next question in the management segment, is management honest and open? You kind of touched on this a little bit. You know, this is kind of a idiot-proof company anyone can be on in in the executive role and you just have the blueprint is right there just follow the blueprint um so that's 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 one part of the question but in terms of honesty and man and and openness transparency i don't see any red flags and i i I can't say anything in the affirmative but i can't say anything negative either really so to me that it's it's more of a less of an issue Mm -hmm. because this company isn't really managed you know it's not centrally managed. It's, you know, it's a fairly distributed thing. So I, I don't see it being much of a problem. Yeah. Okay. And I, and yeah. I also just to, 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 be, to clarify that too, I also don't see like people are still going to continue to buy homes 30 years from now. Right. I, I think that's a really important part of this discussion is also to say you have to live somewhere. Yes. Maybe more people will live in apartments or rent, you know, or, rent or yeah. something like that. People still want to own homes, and that will not change. It may change a little bit here and there, but it's not. We're not talking about like with a company like Facebook, where the company can get disrupted yeah. by somebody else who provides social media services or something like that, or people are just tired of their, uh, you know, their privacy, you know, uh, things and things like that that they move away from Facebook. That can't happen with a company like this, yes. right? So people are still going to need their product in the future. Great. Let's uh, let's move on to valuation. Um, so the question there is: Is there a significant margin of safety? And this is always the question with value investors. You can buy a great business, but is it at a fair price? And actually, Warren Buffett talked about Warren Buffett talked about this with uh, Kraft Heinz recently. Yeah. Um, you know, he said he paid a little too much for uh, Heinz portion of it. Um, so again, well, going I- back to this question: Is there a significant margin of safety for this business? So I, I think the the question that we have to look at is let's look at our assumptions for our discounted cash, cash flow model, sure. right? So we're not worried about the top line revenue as much as we are about the bottom line, free. right? You know, and, and the free cash, free cash flow cash that flow. it generates, right? Yeah. So f- the the interesting about the thing about this company is their depreciation expense is exactly the same as their property, plant, and equipment expenses every year. So you're just going right into it. So it's just really their net income is yeah. the same thing as their free cash flow, mm. right? And that's the, as we talked about before, they don't have a lot of uh, 
property, plant, and equipment, right? It's trucks. It's, you know, uh, their business, their building. But uh, that's all out in the soft contracts. There's books. It's yeah. not on their books. Right. So, uh, yeah. So a lot of the equipment for actually building the house is not even on, on their, their books. On their books. Yeah. So they may have a, a few things here and there right. that they just need trucks to get around to people's houses yeah. and stuff like that. But, you know, vehicles to move things around. That's it. So, um, yeah. So there isn't a lot of. Uh, heavy depreciation. Heavy depreciation here. Yeah. So you don't need to worry about, um, you know, that eating your y- your owner earnings, right? The yeah. owner earnings is basically whatever the net income is. So so now that when you, when you say that, they have grown earnings per share at 30% per year for the last 20 years. I am still going to be conservative and take a growth rate of 15% per year. Yeah. Let's cut it in half and just say that the EPS is going to continue to grow at 15% a year. I don't see any reason that that would be that they will deviate from that. But let's let's assume that we have a, a recession coming in uh, in in into play. Let's give them a 15 percent growth rate for first five years and a 10 percent growth rate for the next five years after that. So year six through ten. So, again, I don't think that's necessarily the case. But and we're going to use um, our same 10 percent discount rate. And we're going to, uh, their shares outstanding are actually 3.6 uh, undiluted and 4.0 diluted. So um, they do have a lot of options outstanding. And it, they have a net debt of zero because their cash is $650 million, million on the balance sheet and uh, $600 million in debt. So I'm just going to zero it all out and give them uh, no debt. A debt and... Uh Okay, you're just you're just canceling cash and debt. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we we always use that as a net calculation. You can yeah. you can put in the six hundred million and it doesn't yeah. really change things all that much. Yeah. Uh, and they also generate tons of free cash flow, so I'm not worried about it. So, yeah. uh, margin of safety is still fifty percent because I'm super conservative, and people will tell me that I'm overly conservative, and I would say I don't care what you think. So, um, we're gonna continue with that same number and. Um, you know, they're trading around their margin of safety price right so now. Can you tell us uh, what the result is? Yeah, so we, we're getting around $2,600 a share in the, uh, or I'm sorry, $5,200 of intrinsic value. Yeah. And they're trading at around $2,600 a share right now. So they are very, very close to the, you know, price. So a little wiggle here and they're below that price, little wiggle and they're above that price. But you're you're getting a company that's compounding earnings at 30% a year. With a company like this. Now, what's interesting about a company like this is they will take a fairly big hit in a recession. Yeah. And you can scoop up even more shares in that time. So I don't play the timing game with any of these kind of investments. Um, And I'm not telling you whether or not I own this. Uh, I I mean, I don't own NVR, but I'm not telling you that I'm going to invest or anything like that. What I'm saying is this company is trading at a fairly, you know, fairly close to that margin of safety price. Yeah. And I think... it is reasonable to assume that at 15% a year earnings per share growth, um, you know, they're, they're cheap. If that number is any higher, 20%, 25%, they're below the margin. They're safety. very much below the margin of safety price. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's interesting. The, the share cannibalization that happens in this company is pretty astounding. If you look at the yeah. stock price, the shareholder return, to- the sh- total shareholder return, it's, it's incredible. Yeah, and, I, and it's and, and again, I just want to point this out too. You know, companies trading at at or below, you know, significant below the margin of safety, is rare to find nowadays. Yeah, 
it's really rare. rare. It's really rare to find. And I, you know, when we post things on Seeking Alpha, and have these conversations with people, conversations with people, you know, they they say it too. It's like it's hard to find people. It's hard to find companies when we when you put in fifty percent discount rates or not discount rate, fifty percent um, intrinsic value margin of safety. margin of safety. Yeah, people go crazy. How do you how, how are you going to find that in this market? It's only possible when Ben Graham was around, but not now. But clearly, if you look at this company, there are companies that you can find that is really around around there. Well, I, I would say two things. One, you can always find companies trading below their margin of safety if you look hard enough. Most people don't look hard enough. And two, just because it's below margin of safety doesn't necessarily mean that you buy, right? Yeah. You are looking at it as an opportunity cost to buying into another stock, right? So if there's a better bargain mm -hmm. out there, which I would find it hard to argue with, you know, a company that's returning 30% a year, but hey, if there's a company returning 35% a year, well that's the num that's the one you go after, right? So uh, what I would say is this is a very good benchmark company to look at, right? That if I owned this in my portfolio, I would be very comfortable with that and I wouldn't lose any sleep. I mean, clearly over the last 20 years, they've crushed it. And I don't see that changing, right? And so that to me is far more interesting than the little wiggles of, you know, you read what is on Seeking Alpha and I'm not a big fan of that because I think a lot of people have a short-term bent, right? All of those people aren't doing better than if I just owned NVR, right? All of those people. So those people are returning 15% a year, 8% a year, 9% a year. These guys, if I had just bought them 20 years ago and just never did anything ever again, I would be way better off, right? So I want you to, when as you start thinking about your process, think about how Charlie Munger thinks about this. This is you know, his philosophy that we are trying to espouse about finding these very well-run companies and just putting your money in, down and not worrying about it. Right. Like you still read the annual reports, you still review the company, but then you're not really paying attention to the the, the little wiggles of day to day business. Yeah. They don't really matter all that much yeah. because what you're entrusting yourself to is a business that is hard to disrupt. When you look at Kraft Heinz, Warren Buffett makes it clear that his mistake was that he didn't understand the business as well as he thought he did right he's always said that that's the whenever they make a mistake that is always their thing and so if they understood the business better they would have paid less right they would have bought it less and he, he even says it, the business doesn't do you know your returns aren't better because you pay more for the the company right so he if he had bought it at a lower price he would have been much happier i don't think he's he thinks that craft is going away right he still thinks there's a very durable moat there but you need to be more cognizant of what the the pr price is that you're paying for it. Yep. Um, and with that, I think we touched on the subsequent questions. Can I reasonably estimate cash flows into the future, given that I know, given what I know about their business? We talked about that. Is it possible that the downside risk here is unknowable, and does margin of safety provide an as asymmetrical risk reward ratio? And we also talked about that. Yep. Uh, with this, um, anything else you want to add before we close it out? So I, I think uh, you know, if you've been just kind of following along and listening, but haven't really read the annual reports and stuff like that, I, I I would say that this is one of the best companies for you to dive into to really learn, right? Because 
you see a company that is well run and is doing the right things and they should be the ones that you should pay attention to when you look at you should hold the every other company up to this same standard when you do your uh investment uh uh study right mm-hmm. because they're just very well run yeah so okay awesome um that's it for us at nvr inc um it's quite interesting company and like we said yeah this doesn't this you know this is not a sexy business um like amazon for example but surely it it is uh sexy for us as value investors Well, the profit is definitely sexy oh yeah yeah so so take a look like harry said um this was the first time that i looked into it but it was very interesting to to learn about the business so Thank you all for listening to this episode. And again, reach out to us at info at valueinvestor.org. If you want us to analyze your company, uh, whatever you're into now, uh, let us know. We'd be happy to take a look at that and share with you our thoughts. Um, So that's it for us. uh, Episode 42. We'll see you on the next episode. Thank you. Thank you.